Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. Thanks for joining me. On tonight's program, I've got Mike Gable of Fairmont Equities, who's looking at the charts and he's looking at the market indices, that's the S&P 500 and the ASX 200, to see if these markets are actually getting near the bottom. Is it time to start thinking about buying into the market? And then he uh, runs his chart spotlight over zero, which had a bad day in the market today, IDP Education, Magellan Financial and Macquarie. All these stocks have copped it, but are they getting into the buy zone? That's what we test out with Mike Gable. Then Paul Rickard and I talk about whether it's actually too scary to invest right now. And if that's the case, when should you think about doing it? Then Simon Presley, the founder of Propertyology, he reckons all this talk about house price crashes is way, way over the top. And he's got a pretty persuasive argument. Uh, that's uh, later in the program. But then we follow up with the senior economist at REA Group, Eleanor Cray. She's a tad more negative, but she's also not talking about crashing house prices. And in fact, she looks at places where house prices are actually rising. That's the show. Let's kick off now with Mike Gable of Fairmont Equities. Thanks for joining us, mate. Thank you. Pretty uh, volatile times. Um, yeah. And I've asked you to look at some big picture uh, charts and some smaller ones as well. And I'll, um, you, I usually ask you for a tip at the end of it. We'll see mm. what you have to say about that when we get there. No but let's just kick off with, the, I think, the heart of the problem, namely the US stock market, the tech yep. stocks that drive the S&P 500. Mm. What's the outlook for the poor old S&P 500 at the moment, mate? It is looking a bit a bit sick, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, when we spoke a little bit over a month ago, everything was sort of bouncing off support and and looking like it might hold in there. But, mm. but clearly things have, have broken down again. Um, and what I've got here is a daily chart of the S&P 500. And it, it goes it goes back a couple of years. What I wanted to show at the far left was that that peak that we had just before COVID. Yep. Um, and as everyone knows, it's, um, it, it blasted through that mm. um, and, and went on a great run. But but most recently, what we've got here is um, yeah, clearly a deterioration. I mean, when we had the, the bounce there around March, um, it looked like it might have legs, but it's come back to that you know, support that's level. Like it was like a bigger version of that, which was like the launching pad for another takeoff. Yeah. And I, I figure what you're going to say is if the news had got collectively better over the last two or three weeks, that may well have been a launching pad for mm -hmm. another takeoff. But the news hasn't got any better, has it? Yeah, that's that's right. So it, it look it does it does look negative. Yeah. I'd I'd say there's you know clearly the trend is to the downside. The risk is to the downside for the moment. Yeah. Um, you know this this blue level here. I'll just stand up and show our viewers. Yeah. So basically we've had you know this was that that major support level that we needed mm. to to bounce off, but instead um, it's fallen through that um, and it is looking quite weak. So. We'll get some, we may well get some bounces over the next few days, but if it tries to bounce and can't get back above this line very quickly, mm. I'd say we may well just see a bit more of a capitulation. This, this whole pattern reminds me of the end of 2018. As you recall, mm. um, you know, rates were supposed to be heading higher and, um, and it wasn't until the, uh, the US Fed sort of backtracked on that. that to be precise, Donald Trump twisted the arm of poor old Jerome <laughs> exactly. Powell and he capitulated. Put him in a bit of a, <laughs> bit of a headlock. So, yeah. um, 
look, I mean, I part of me just would just be happy to see this capitulation, just get it out of the way. So what I mean by that is, you know, a swift move to the downside um, while, you know, everyone gives up. Mm. Uh, and that, that would lead to a swift, swift bounce. But, mm. you know, right here, it's too early to be calling any sorts of lows. Um, as I said, I think the risk is that we get some kind of dive from here. I mean, I don't know if it's going to stop here or here. That's that's what you don't know, and I've got you here as my expert. Yeah. I don't believe that. <laughs> yeah, look, I think I think a lot of people can. Um, yeah, a lot of people try to predict levels, um, but it basically backs you in a corner. That's right. Uh, I think what's clear is the direction. The direction is down. Let's just observe that for yeah. now. Um, I don't think we need to rush into buying anything until, you know, we see a lot of sort of giving up in mm. of the share market. Um, maybe that's only a few days away. Hopefully. Mm. Um, yeah, short answer is, is, that, yeah, down, is downside is, for now. And there was an important test last night, namely the inflation number. That inflation number, which came in at 8.3 rather than the, the previous one, 8.5, yeah. if that number was, say, 6.5, this market would be going up today. Yeah, I, I think a number of um, yeah, analysts or you know, market commentators were, I guess we're all hoping for, for a better number than what we got yeah. um, to just ease this, but clearly... Yeah, it, it is what it is, and mm. uh, you know we're going to. It is what more. it is until it's not. Until it's okay. Not. Let's go to the Australian market. We we have not suffered to the same extent as the poor old mm. Americans. So this is this is the S and P ASX two hundred index. What are we seeing? So it's it's almost the uh, the definition of volatility, isn't it? Right. So um, our market obviously holding up better because of the resources sector. Um, so we still haven't breached that low um, from uh, January February. Uh, but we're getting close to it. Maybe this is where we bounce, maybe not. Um, but essentially, it, I think this is, you know, this is what we're going to see for most of the year. So mm. I think at the end of last year, because of the reduction in QE, because of rising rates, I was expecting a, a year of, you know, ultimately nothing but a lot of volatility in between. Mm. So I think this will continue on. Um, bear market rallies can be some of the most powerful rallies you see in a market. So mm. for someone like me that likes to trade, I think it could be a good year in trying to, to trade these ranges, mm. um, but ultimately I don't think we're, we're gonna go anywhere yeah. in a hurry. Yeah, so you're saying that if a good company gets smashed, it, it's, it could be a buy, but you don't hold it for too long. Yeah, exactly. I mean, until, I think we need, we need a major catalyst for the market to start trending again. Yeah, and, like the end of the um, Ukraine war, China getting out of lockdown. Well, I, I think potentially just just backtracking on all these interest rate rises. Yeah, exactly. So we can make a case for why the Fed Reserve should do another couple of 50 basis point rises in a, in a yeah. row and, um, and the others that should follow. Mm. But if they backtrack from that slightly because economies may well get tipped into a recession, and that's what the market's starting to price in, the mm. fact that we may well be having a recession mm. on our hands. I think that they start backtracking from all these rate rises yeah. So 10, rise, the, 10 rises to six, the market said, hey, that's good. It'll be, it'll be back on the happy juice again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, from a low level. Yeah. And by the way, we, we made the point in the show plenty of times that the, the growth of the S&P 500 out of the coronavirus crash was excessive. Yeah. Yeah, like we, we were up about 5 or 6%, they were up about 35%. And, that, and the tech companies were driving it, weren't they? Yeah. Okay, let's go to the next one. And this is a company that's... You know, struggled. Mm. Uh, I've noticed that people want to buy this around 14 and it can bounce up to 16 or so. Yeah. What are you seeing? This is Magellan, of course. So I've brought a long-term chart here. I mean, when I look at 
a short-term chart. It seems to be levelling a bit, but at best, I think in the short term, you might get a bounce to sort of $20 mm. um, and a bit of selling. But again, just if we look at the long-term chart, we can see that it is quite quite sick. It needs to do a lot, lot more base building before it can get going. It might need to do something like this. And when you think of it logically, you know, with their underperformance, with all the... Mm you know, the musical chairs that have, that have been happening within the, the business. Yep. I think if you're an investor looking to put your money in a fund manager, you wouldn't be picking Magellan today. You'd be giving it another year or two. So I think it's, it's going to take time for their funds under management to get up and therefore the share price to get up. So yeah. uh, I, at best, I expect this one to, to do a bit of that for a while. Yeah, and it seems to me, it's like the kind of company that if you want to take a risk on it, you want to be paying for, say, $14 and hoping that it sneaks up to 16, which it has been doing, and that's not a bad return you know, for a year. But for it to get back into the 20s and the 30s, yeah. you're right, it's gonna have a, have a much better track record than it's had in recent times. Yeah, exactly. We should also make the point is that a lot of its spectacular growth was when <coughs> tech companies and Chinese companies were doing really well. Mm. They have suffered because of the, the, um, the coronavirus, the slug yeah. on, on uh, Chinese companies in particular, but still there was, um, some other issues there as well. Let's go to the next one now, Macquarie. This is a, a fantastic uh, company, mm. um, probably in the buying zone for anyone who hasn't uh, held, um, well, I hope they were in the buying zone, for people who haven't had Macquarie, but what, what are you seeing? Um, I guess just like our market, just, just in a range, getting to the bottom of that range, um, which is quite clear for everyone to see. I, I guess if we were to break these lows, you'd expect a bit of selling to start to kick in. Um, this is where a lot of people would have stop, stop losses. Mm. Um, up until here, it was actually, I thought it was doing pretty well. It was mm. holding up on good volume. Um, the result wasn't bad, but as we know, it just unfortunately came out on a day when the rest of the market um, was falling back quite sharply. And the CEO wasn't prepared to be over the top. She, yeah. she was quite cautious in the outlook and the market didn't like her caution. Well, I mean, for anyone that's been following Macquarie um, for a long time, will know that they don't uh, they don't give guidance. Um, uh, you know, in those sorts of situations, and they don't you know mm. overpromise. Thank you, Lily. Yeah, ex mm. exactly. Mm. So, I mean, that wasn't a surprise to me. So, look, it's at the bottom of the range. Um, if you're a holder of Macquarie, it's okay. Well, it's it's back down here. Uh, you know, maybe you'd be looking to to buy a bit more of a bounce if the market gets going again. So, mm. this one doesn't really concern me because of the range. It would have to break this for me to get concerned. But then as we could see, if we look back in the middle of last year, there was a lot of price action happening, mm. um, only about $20 lower. So you could assume that if we get a capitulation in the market, you'd get a, a spike down here, but it mm. would bounce pretty quickly. Yeah, if I saw it at 160, 150, I'd be a buyer of Macquarie yeah, so without would I. a doubt. Uh, <laughs> he said, so am I. Uh, and I think the, the important point to make also is that 70% of Macquarie's money now is made overseas. That's and right. so what's going on in the S&P 500 isn't great for a bank that makes a lot of money as an investment bank mm. in New York City. So yeah. um, that's another part of the story as well, I'd say. Let's go to um, IDP Education, I-E-L. Now, a, a lot of people asked me about this. I know mm. at times it's been very uh, a darling of the market. But I, I know it's, it's struggled of late. Is there any signs there of positivity? Not yet, um, Peter. I mean, the only thing that, I mean, it, 
it's in a downtrend. We can all see that. Mm. Um, I'm not seeing the downtrend slow. Um, when I look at sort of this part of the chart, it reminded me a bit of the S&P 500, if you recall, sort of this yeah. bounce up here, the break of support. And then collapse. That's, that's about it, really. Yeah. So I think this one will get cheaper. Um, we don't need to uh, rush into this one. Okay. Now, Zero, um, a company I really like, mm. reported badly today, and I think it shows up on, on, the, on the screen. Yeah. Um, before that news, were you seeing anything positive about Zero? Um, yes and no. I mean, I have to admit, I think when I was last on your show just mm. over a month ago, Peter, I said I was buying Zero because mm. uh, it seemed like it was basing here and then it broke mm. above above that base. So the push above $100 for me was a buy. Unfortunately, um, in the last few weeks, we could see that it fell back into this range. Uh, and then last week when it broke under this, um, I advised my clients to take a loss and sell it. So um, I just don't, you know, for me, that's a negative, the way it's trading like that. And it's the type of company I don't want to muck around with because it can move quite swiftly mm. in either direction. Yeah. Um, and as, as we speak, I think it's down about 12% again just today. So um, it can move, yeah, very quickly to the downside. So unfortunately, I've taken a loss on zero. We'll see where it wants to establish support. Mm. But obviously, the environment's not good for these sorts of stocks. Okay. Now, when you come here, I always say, give us a, a stock that you're interested in. Yep. What's the stock that you're interested in? Well, I'll have to sit back down because yeah. I don't, uh, I don't have a stock this week. I yeah. just think the which the is market, unusual, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, stock. I normally have a mining stock or something interesting, but yeah. I just think the broader market is is very risky at the moment. Um, as I said, hopefully it all gets resolved in the next few days and we can get a, a bit of a bounce. But even then, that'll probably be a a bear market bounce. You're saying as though you, you're coming from the Peter Switzer School of Optimism in the next few <laughs> days, even though I'm thinking this might take a couple of months. Well, all these, you know, all these things will, will pass, of course, and mm. there'll, be, there'll be opportunities. But yeah. at the moment, I'm not seeing many. We've been, you know, ideally, I think you should be in cash at the moment. Um, I mean, me, me personally, I'm, mm. you know, I'm, I'm just in cash. Um, You've sold everything. Advising, have you sold everything? Have you? Yeah, but I could buy back in tomorrow pretty yeah. quickly. It doesn't yeah, it doesn't worry me. But I but with the clients I advise, we've been saying, look, I know, you know, ninety nine percent of you won't want to be one hundred percent cash. There are certain stocks you want to hold. But mm. I think in this environment, if you can cash in what we call the high beta stocks, so mm. stocks that move, uh, say more than the market. So if mm. the market's up one percent, this stock might move more than one percent in, mm. in either direction. If mm. you can get rid of those stocks. <clears throat> And reduce the beta of your portfolio to less than one. Mm. What that means is, if the market drops one percent, you might only drop half a percent because yeah. you've reduced your beta. Yeah. Um, and usually, the easiest way to do that is reduce your high beta stocks. So there might be a few stocks in every portfolio worth getting rid of. Mm. Zero was a classic example. Mm. The market's down what one percent today. Zero is down twelve percent. Mm. So if you could raise your cash levels, even if it's just a 30 percent, that can reduce the the beta of the portfolio and just reduce that that downside risk. So mm. I think, but obviously the flip side to that is you then need to be prepared to get back into the market. Yeah. You can't just dither while it, while it runs away yeah. from you. So, And of course, for people watching you and wondering why you do it, you are a more short-term oriented investor, aren't you? And you, mm. you, you intend to accumulate your profits over your, your trading period by getting in and out. 
where a yeah. long-term investor might look at zero today and say, that's a great price. I think it'll, it'll get back to 100 yeah. in, in a year. If I can make $23 on 77, that's a nice one-year return. That's yeah. what a long-term investor might look at and see. Yeah, so a lot of our positions, I'd like to call them maybe more of a medium-term position. So it might be three to six months mm. for, for some positions. Um, there'll be other stocks we hold long-term, others a bit shorter. Mm. Um, but yeah, you're right, that's, that's how we try to, to do our thing. So talking from someone who looks at things a bit more medium-term, let's say, um, I think it's worth having a bit of cash and, mm. um, and waiting for the market to to bottom out and then we might get a nice explosive rally for several weeks or so mm. that we could take advantage of. But at the moment, I think the risk is to the downside and, um, you know, we just have to Keep yeah, our take fingers it as a crossed. Yeah. A good circuit breaker, a positive event like the end of the Ukraine war looks unlikely at the moment. China, China must get a lockdown eventually. Yeah, we, we've, seen, we've seen the World Health Organization um, for, for some reason decide to be critical of China and, uh, and, and their zero COVID policies. Mm. Yeah, look, I, I'm not sure how quickly they'll come out of lockdown. I don't know what the catalyst would be. Maybe, maybe the market just gets so oversold in the next few days or so that, that we get a bit of a bounce. But I, I, think, I think a sustained rally would, would have to do more with um, the direction of interest rates. Correct. And, and, and I think, you know, there's something you and I were talking about earlier. This, this accumulation of negativity around the stock market, we know has affected consumer confidence in Australia, it will affect con consumer confidence right around the world. So all the people who are predicting, for, for example, 10 interest rate rises in the US and six or seven here, may well be, in a sense, helping us have less interest rate rises, and that's what the stock market might eventually react exactly. to if by Oct September, October, they say, hang on, we were far too negative, mm. and that, that market's been sold off far too much because interest rates are gonna go there. Yeah. So that could be the kind of fill-up or a catalyst that turns this market around. That's right, and I think, I mean, I don't think we've seen a situation where reserve banks, central banks across the world have raised rates during a during a major bear market. I think mm. you have to go back to the 70s. Yeah. I, I wasn't in existence then, Peter, but Weren't you'll have you to really? uh, correct Amazing. me on that. But I think it's, it'd be very unusual. I think Paul Volcker was the, uh, was <laughs> Volcker, the, uh, the Federal right. Reserve boss. So yeah. It'd be very unusual for, you know, stranger things have happened, but it'd be very unusual to see these sorts of interest rates in a market that's, yeah. uh, that's on its knees. Normally the central yeah. banks come in and yeah. help out a bit. But isn't it interesting, you, reserve banks are caught between, oh, they're behind the curve, they've got to be inflation. Oh, but they could be causing recession. It's, it, you know, it, it might explain why the reserve bank governor gets paid over a million dollars a <laughs> That's year. That's right. Okay, thanks for joining us. That's thanks, Mike Gable, Peter. Fairmont Equities. Well, we just heard from Mike Gable. Now I've got Paul Rickard in to tell us whether he's afraid of the market situation right now. What do you reckon, Paul? Well, I'm not afraid, Peter. I mean, it's obviously, uh, look, it's a little challenging because we're getting such negative leads from the US and we'd like to see that inflation number coming down a bit, a bit mm. more than it has. Mm. Uh, but look, I think you still got to look, say that uh, the Aussie market still looks all right, but it's going to be a tough little short period. I yeah. mean, uh, you know, tech stocks, a lot of companies have been really badly smashed. There's obviously yeah. a little bit of panic selling. Mm. And, um, you know, you just got to be, the, the strong stocks are doing okay and you've got to stick with the strength here a little bit. Yeah. 
On that subject, you and I have both liked Zero and reported badly today. Have you had a chance to have a quick Yeah, look, look, I mean, I think that they're being a bit hard on Zero. I mean, what, what they're looking for is they want every company to be profitable. Now, Zero's reinvesting. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's uh, it provided guidance in terms of its operating margin next year and said that uh, expenses as part of sort of revenue would be between 80 to 85%. That's yeah. about, it's currently about 86%. Now, the market thinks it should be a lot lower than that because you know, if, you, if you're not investing, then you can, you know, the margin should be higher. Right. And that's what the market's sort of punishing. It says that uh, we want to see more immediate profit. Uh, and the zero is saying, look, we're investing for growth. And so growth is just out of favour. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the market's got high expectations. If someone doesn't own zero at the current prices, do you think it's a, not a bad uh, ent uh, entry point? I think on all the custom metrics, yeah. I mean, I think it is a good entry point. Mm. I, I just, what I, what my caution, the only caution is if, you know, we get more negative nights on the NASDAQ, yeah. all the tech stocks here are going to go, going to get smashed. But I think it's a good entry point at the moment. I think today's reaction is a bit over, over yeah. is unsound, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, overdone. Uh, and uh, the market will come back to that. The only reason I ask that question, because sometimes when you get some bad news, you often get a run of bad news. And well, I don't think there's any much bad news. It's just not the news the market yeah. wanted. And that's um, a good point. So, you it's know, not like on, a shock on, on the actual numbers, you know, the growth number in terms of the number of new customers, in terms of average revenue per user, they're all pretty strong. Yeah. It's just that the market suddenly expects, you know, companies that have been in growth mode, building businesses suddenly to become super profitable. Well, yeah. you can't do that overnight unless you... Get rid of people. That's right. Now, I've got to say, the analysts really like Zero. Um, I don't. Think, I think not any analysts have a negative view on, on uh, Zero. And you and I believe it's a, a company of the future, and therefore, okay, we don't have to make money this year, but over the, the next one, two, or three years, we would expect to see that share price a lot higher. Yeah, I mean, and again, I'm probably the obvious cap. You know, you don't necessarily use, you need all you use all your firepower at once. You no. know, but. Uh, Look, I think that's one of the companies to look at, uh, and uh, you know, in, in what a sort of is, is a tough market. We're going to be in a tough market for a little while. Getting away from the more risky companies, Paul. I know uh, I was asked today um, by one of my favourite investors about Wes Farmers. Is Wes Farmers in the in the buy zone? It looks like. Oh, uh, look, it's there. it's holding in pretty nicely. I, I'm not really ever sure why Westpac, sorry, Wes Farmers got over sixty dollars, yeah. uh, and it's now about forty nine. It really yeah. hasn't done much. It hasn't gone down, right? No. Uh, despite the market fall. So, look, West Farmers, I think, is, uh, is looking reasonably attractive. It may not, you know, if you look at the stocks that are doing well on the market, they're clearly the banks because mm. of, uh, you know, people expect margins to improve as interest rates go up in the short term. Uh, some of the, you know, your classic sort of big first level, you know, companies like West Farmers and JB Hi-Fi is doing okay. Uh, BHP and the others are doing okay, and everything else. It's like <laughs> defensive quality. It's CSL's doing right. Everything else is sort of getting smashed a little bit, right? Yeah. Um, well, well, we're well, doing okay. Well, you so, mentioned banks, but a lot of people are wondering whether this is a good time to buy Macquarie. It's, it's got down to a, a buyable Yeah, price. I think Macquarie, for a, as a portfolio stock, yes. As a trading stock, maybe not, because mm. it's it's you know um, it's more exposed to external the external environment. S and P right? five hundred. Yeah. Yeah, and so if the external environment is stays, you know pretty tough, then Macquarie will get hit. But I think as a portfolio stock, I think it's one of the top 
two or three companies in Australia. Mm. And you know, you look back and dips have been bought and this is a dip uh, and this is good reason to buy it. So you read a brilliant article on that today in the, in, uh, the Switzer Report. You wrote something exactly, exactly on that. Exactly well, on there, that you go. there you go. The Switzer Report. Uh, is that Switzer Day or Switzer Report? Switzer Report, uh, yeah. if you get a free subscription, I think. But anyhow, have a look at that okay. uh, and you can look at what I have to say. About and one, one last thing, you mentioned up buying the dips. I, I read one story today where the writer said, yeah, it looks like the buying the dip strategy is over. I don't think so, Paul. I think it's always a good strategy. Yeah, I mean, the US, uh, I think it's still, you know, if, if you're a long-term believer in stock markets, you look at long, long, long-term charts, mm. they go up. And yeah. So whether the dip is 20% or 30%, you just got to have patience, right? Mm. Um, I still think that's the right strategy. That's what equities have done classically over the long term. Mm. Uh, and you've got to hold, hang on mm. to that, right? Uh, but you've got to wear a bit of pain. So, mm. I, I mean, I, I don't, I think a lot of people come to the market and expect them immediately every buy they're going to do is a winner, every sell <laughs> yeah. they're going to do is a winner. I have never, folks, I have never bought at the bottom or sold at the top. It just doesn't work that way, right? Uh, okay. And every time that you're on the market these days, immediately you're out of the money because it's just the way it works, right? Yeah. So you've got to take a, a, at least a medium-term view. And even as a trader, you've got to have a bit of patience yeah. too, right? Because, I, must admit, um, I must admit, Paul, I, I tipped BHP at $14 many years ago. Uh, but didn't buy it until about fifteen dollars seventy. But still, look at where it is today. So it's, it's, it's a, often the uh, worrying about whether you're getting at the bottom or top, not really relevant. Just by quality companies when the market doesn't like them. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Peter. That's Paul Rickard of the Switzer Report. Well, joining me now is Simon Presley from Propertyology, and he's basically telling people all the negative headlines around house price collapses in the future because of rising interest rates possibly is an exaggeration. Let's just hear what Simon has to say. Hi, Simon. How are you going? Oh, I'm very well, Peter. How are you? Very good. Very good indeed. You're looking sideways as though your kid's coming into the room and you want to tell him to get out. <laughs> No, no, I've just got some, um, some, some data up on, uh, on the second screen here for our, our listeners today. Okay, right, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, you just remind me of, of a parent who was worried that his kid was coming in in the middle of an interview. <laughs> now, on, on screen, I've got a chart you sent us, and it basically you know, plots the history of, um, of price movements from, what, 1972 to, to 2020. What, what, what's the, the takeout messages from that chart? Yeah, so 50 years, I mean, it's a big chunk of evidence, isn't it? Um, the, the, the blue line going across the screen there is what the standard variable rate home loan has been over that period of time. You and I are old enough, Peter, many, many others aren't. We're old, we're old enough to remember sort of the, the 18 to 20% interest rates. But yeah. here in Australia, um, the RBA has kept its powder dry, or certainly they haven't gone up for 11 odd years. So there's some people with a mortgage today who've never been through that. But yep. it is absolutely incorrect for anyone who, who assumes that rising interest rates mean falling property prices. And um, you can see that interest rates have, have increased many, many, many times over those last 50 years, but the green columns show the combined sum of our capital city change in median house price. Those green columns hmm. in most years have gone above the horizontal. In other words, the property, property prices in, have increased. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, what I've put in that, in that red box there that is the biggest, officially the biggest 
uh, property boom in Australian history. Mm. Six-year window, 2002 to 2008. Not yeah. only did interest rates rise in that six-year period of time, Peter, the standard variable rate home loan increased 22 times. In that same six years, six out of eight capital cities, their median house price doubled and more than 100 individual regional towns and cities, their median house price increased by even more than that. Yeah. Okay. That's a very interesting chart, mate, in that respect. And the fact that even during the period where interest rates were uh, 18%, house prices still rose. They didn't rise by as much as other times, but they still rose. Very good point. Okay. That's the first chart. Let's go to the second one. The second one, you've portrayed the potential for house prices and your neat little aeroplane is pointing up. But at the tail, at the tail you've got the drag. Just run through the, the drag issues and we'll look at the, uh, the uplift issues that explain why you think prices could go up as opposed to collapse terribly as some predictions have been made. Yeah, well, firstly, the specific interest rates, they're at an all-time record low. Um, so, you know, the cost of money is dirt cheap. They went up, you know, uh, a week ago, and they're up, undoubtedly they're going to go up again, but there'll be a, a puff teeth more than dirt cheap. They're still going to be dirt cheap, right? We had, directly before COVID, we have five RBA rate cuts. So they've got to go up five times just to get back to where they were three years ago. And three years ago, Australian mortgage holders, we had an all-time record low number of uh, mortgages in arrears and an all-time record low number of bankruptcies. Hmm. And Australia's economy is a, lot, is a lot stronger now than what it was three years ago. But an individual property market, so an individual town or city, there's always a big bunch. There's a, there's a dozen, a, there are dozens of things that influence a property market and interest rates are just one of those things. So when interest rates are rising, that has a dragging effect on property prices. On the, on the left of this chart, um, I've written in a couple of things that are having a dragging effect on property markets for the foreseeable future. Um, most of it is just commentary. On the right-hand side are a big bunch of things, and there's, this, there's a lot longer list than what I've um, put here in the orange check, but there's a big bunch of things that have a lifting effect on property prices. A couple of the most important things. We've got $230 billion in cash in Australian households. It's never been higher. Just in our, talking about our existing mortgage holders, in their offset accounts and redraw accounts, we've got $130 billion tucked away in there in cash. And Simon, I think, Simon I, I think the latest number actually pushed up to 270. It was 270. Yeah, it was yeah. getting higher and higher. Yeah. Um, because we're, we're earning a, a lot more than what we need. Yeah. Um, and, and, and we're, and we're spending less on services as well at the moment. Correct. We're, we're embracing technology. Um, you know, things that we had to do in the past that cost a lot of money, we can do with a with click of a button. Um, we have the biggest ever investment um, pipeline for our infrastructure spending. We're going to spend $45 billion in infrastructure just this year alone. And our biggest year will be next year. Very important for property markets. We have an all-time record low number of properties listed for sale and, just as importantly, listed for rent. We always need to remember that an individual town or city is not a reflection of every other individual town or city. Sydney and Melbourne have had a return to equilibrium of their number of properties listed for sale. There's no coincidence that their property markets for the first few months of this year have flattened out. 
Let me tell you, somebody buys property for a living all over Australia. What's happening in Sydney and Melbourne is by no means a mirror image of what's happening elsewhere. What's happening elsewhere, there's there's nothing on the market, Peter. When something hits the market, you've got multiple people still transacting in real estate and plenty of property markets that are running at somewhere between 10% annual growth and up to 30% annual growth. Why is that? Their local economies are incredibly strong. They've got lots of lots, lots tens of thousands of jobs advertised, no one available locally to fill these jobs. Households are flush with cash, flush with equity, no nowhere to um, nothing, no stock to buy, and no housing stock to rent. So these are not bad fundamentals, these are incredibly strong fundamentals. Yeah, and I and I guess, you know, looking at some of the, the factors you point out that are clearly going to improve over the next year or two. We're going to have a lot more overseas migration. We're going to have a lot more uh, foreign workers coming into Australia as well, which of course increases yep. demand for rental accommodation, therefore increases the demand, the price of those properties. So it, it is an interesting, um, um, albeit a cartoon-like graph, it has a very serious uh, message. Well, and the thing is, I call it the metric of the moment, Peter. There's, there always seems to be that one thing that is that's commented on a lot yeah. um, and having a negative influence on property prices, and we gravitate to that. So if we go back two years ago, that one thing was population. We closed the international border, and so the metric of the moment back then was property prices are going to crash. You know, how can property prices physically grow without having population growth? Well... Large parts of Australia have seen between 30 and 50% growth over the last two years, mm -hmm. the second biggest boom in this nation's history. But that was the one metric of the moment. Why they didn't decline, like everyone suggested, was because all of the other factors, well, most of the other factors were positive, having a lifting effect. So that one metric of the moment now is rising interest rates, closely followed by commentary about inflation. But the things we've just been through there show that that the other things that are just as important, I'd argue a lot more important, are incredibly low. Rising interest rates. So we, we've actually got only four point, this is an RBA figure, only 4.7% of Australian household incomes are required at the moment to support our interest expenses. That's that's not only a record low, that, that is a, like a mile lower hmm. than what it's ever been. So um, Australians are, are, are well placed to absorb the increased interest expenses um, as the RBA hikes things up. And, but we should be celebrating it. Yeah. Why do interest rates go up? They go up because we've got a really strong economy. Yeah. 430,000 jobs advertised in Australia today that can't be filled. We should be applauding that. So, Simon, just as a humble economist as I am, I've noticed over the years, I guess it's 30 years of uh, public commentary on the economy, that the real trouble for the real estate market is when unemployment really spikes. Is that what you have found in your, your years of watching property? Uh, yes, uh, I can hand on heart say I've studied Australian real estate history to the absolute nth degree and the single biggest influence, uh, there's two, two single biggest influences on a property markets, and this is at a local level, not at a national level, is the local economy. If the local economy is strong, mm. it's creating jobs, it's creating confidence, it's creating financial capacity. If the local economy is soft, 
the reverse happens. So housing demand is not a measurement of population growth, it's a measurement of economic growth. And the other um, thing that has a big influence on property prices is housing supply. That's a heck of a lot more important than any amount of population growth. Yep. We just don't have anywhere near enough housing, either for sale or for rent in almost all of Australia right now, record low stuff. Okay, Simon, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, thanks, Peter. That's Simon Presley from propertyology.com.au. Well, a lot of people are worried that house prices are going to come off the boil. Uh, we don't know how big the, the fall might be. Some economists even think the fall might be really small. But uh, REA has a uh, service called Prop Track Housing Market Indicators Report uh, for May 2022. And it is showing that uh, a number of indicators are indica well, showing that the market is coming off the boil. Let's just see what the true story is from Eleanor Cray, who's a senior economist at REA Group. Uh, Eleanor, thanks for coming on the program. Thanks for having me. So, Eleanor, um, looking at this, this data, what are the, 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 the key indications that this market is starting to slow and that might translate into lower prices? Look, we've really seen that as, I guess, this uh, cycle of exceptional price growth and exceptional buyer demand winds down, we have seen throughout April a kind of marked slowing across a number of metrics that we track at realestate.com.au. Uh, number one I would pull out would be use per listing, which I guess measures kind of the aggregate buyer demand that is out there in the market versus uh, the number of listings. So clearly we've seen that in this year to date across our capital cities, uh, it's been the, the busiest first quarter for new listings uh, in eight years. So there's a lot more choice out there for buyers. And we are also seeing that uh, demand is moderated given the fact that we've got a lot of people out there expecting price falls. Uh, we've got affordability constraints kicking in. We've had rising fixed mortgage rates. Uh, and of course, uh, the RBA uh, set to raise interest rates. So the, the expectation of interest rates lifting off throughout April has certainly weighed on buy demand. And we've seen that views per listing nationwide have uh, fallen 8.8% month on month. Uh, now, there are a few places where that, that moderation has been a, a little bit more intense. Uh, those would be the larger capital cities, Sydney and Melbourne, but also Hobart. And on the flip side of that, we do see that kind of the smaller capitals where they're benefiting from um, that affordability advantage, uh, the kind of lifestyle and preference shifts that we've seen throughout COVID in terms of bigger block sizes um, and, and the like, uh, like Brisbane and Adelaide, haven't seen this uh, moderation in buyer demand uh, being quite so intense. And, and because those bigger ones, including Hobart, they've had sensational price rises over the last few years. Yeah, you're exactly right. So I, I think um, for a lot of people uh, in particularly, say, Sydney and Melbourne, 
Uh, we have seen a really exceptional price growth over the last two years. It's been a, a really unique period, I guess, in terms of that combination of factors that's come together with the closed international borders, more time spent at home, uh, clearly record low interest rates and low mortgage rates, allowing people to, to service more debt. Uh, all underpinned by these ongoing preference shifts that we've seen uh, throughout COVID. And this is still playing into uh, some kind of relative strength uh, in regional markets and the smaller capitals. So we're actually seeing that in regional markets, um, listings or the total availability of properties out there for sale for buyers to choose from are uh, at around 40% below pre-pandemic levels. So that's kind of playing into uh, this picture of, um, I guess, a little bit less choice out there in regional markets. And that's why I think we're seeing the price growth is still a little bit stronger uh, in the regions uh, relative to, say, the larger capitals. All right. So you also made the point that there are more new listings on the market, does that contribute to a degree to less views per property? Because there's just more properties. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking that if the same number of people were, were out there addictively looking at properties, but there's more to look, uh, by definition then, the, the views per listing could go down as well. Yeah, exactly right. So I think for much of last year, we saw um, record high views per listing uh, across really every state and territory. Mm. And that really reflected not only um, ex or exceptional heightened buyer demand that was out there in the market last year, but also um, for much of last year, a kind of constrained level of properties available for sale mm. uh, because vendors were hesitant to list due to restrictions, lockdowns and the like. And that picture shifted quite dramatically um, in spring last year. And really since spring, we've seen an ongoing strength in new listings. Um, and that's been certainly more prevalent uh, in the larger markets, Sydney and Melbourne. So we've seen that uh, the supply properties available for sale has normalized much more quickly in Sydney and Melbourne but also we have seen that uh, sales volumes have slowed in Sydney and Melbourne as well so um, versus uh, the same period to date last year sales volumes are, uh, have actually slowed quite markedly in um, Sydney and that's clearly with the strength in new listings and a little bit less absorption out there feeding into a picture where really the, the total availability of properties on market um, is uh, back up above decade averages. Whereas if we look at the smaller capitals like Brisbane, like Adelaide, um, where sales volumes are still tracking uh, relatively strong, certainly compared to last year, certainly in Adelaide, we're seeing that sales volumes are actually um, quite a bit stronger than they were in this same period last year. Uh, and that means that we're seeing uh, that really that kind of total availability of properties on market hasn't normalized quite as quickly. Uh, and actually the, the supply of properties for sale in those, those markets is still around 30% below the decade averages. And that's feeding into, uh, I guess, this divergent picture that we're seeing in terms of um, those larger capitals coming off the boil with respect to price growth and, and market momentum a little bit more quickly than say the smaller capitals. Mm. So when you add the, uh, the, uh, the views, to the sales volume data. And I also notice here you're saying that the median number of days a property was listed uh, on your website um, has gone uh, to 35 days when it was 33 days. You put them all together, does that give you a, a, a strong belief that whether we like it or not, house prices, particularly in Sydney, Melbourne and Hobart, are, are likely to fall? 
where is the is the jury out on say Brisbane and Adelaide? Yeah, look, I mean, I think we're certainly seeing that the picture at the moment is uh, one that is much less uniform. So we saw throughout the last year as that really extraordinary combination of factors came together Australia wide with record low interest rates, low mortgage rates, people being stuck at home. Uh, all of those factors really created this quite uniform boom across the country. Um, whereas now we're seeing a little bit more divergence between the different markets. Um, some of the capitals are remaining uh, I guess a little bit stronger for longer, you could say. Um, certainly uh, Adelaide seems to be one of the strongholds with respect to momentum. Brisbane has been tracking um, much stronger year to date, um, but I would say that in April, we have seen some of those metrics pulling back a little bit and that kind of, um, I guess that lead is expiring somewhat. And certainly we are seeing a more marked slowing uh, across the other capitals, Sydney, Melbourne and Hobart as well in the mix there and Canberra. So it is, it is a divergent picture. The uniformity of this boom is subsiding and it does look like um, potentially those larger capital city markets will kind of head into the, the downswing of this cycle a little bit more quickly um, than the other markets. That's not to say um, that, that um, the smaller capitals like Brisbane and Adelaide are immune from price falls, um, but I think there's still a lot of uncertainty out there uh, with respect to kind of how far and how fast the RBA are going to raise interest rates uh, and obviously the knock-on effect that that is going to have on the housing market. Okay. Um, when you read um, economists and other um, predictors saying that house prices could fall 20 or 30%, what do you privately think? Now share, share your private mm -hmm. thoughts with us, Eleanor. I don't want your politically, um, uh, socially aware comments. As an economist, when you hear it, do you say, BS, ain't gonna happen? Or you say, yeah, that, that, that's on the cards. <laughs> Look, I wouldn't say that that was on the cards. I do think um, there are scenarios where we could see a more moderate pullback in housing prices, a kind of more orderly correction. Um, certainly the last two years have been absolutely extraordinary when yeah. it comes to that combination of factors that have really come together. Uh, and we saw that last year was the third fastest pace of price growth in more than 140 years. What would actually be surprising is if we had kept that up. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, we're entering a much more normal part of the market cycle. It wouldn't be out of the realms of possibilities to see a kind of correction in housing prices. Uh, but I think what we can't forget is that for a lot of people, um, that, that correction, say a correction of around 10%, something more kind of orderly would uh, take prices back in most capital cities to levels that we saw last year. Um, so there are going to be a lot of people that are going to be able to withstand a moderate fall in housing prices. But I do think that if we, uh, you know, if we were to track along that scenario, where a 30% fall in housing prices was on the cards, it, it would only be a matter of time before the RBA reversed course and were lowering interest rates again. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, the RBA are very cognizant um, of, uh, I guess, 
the impact on the economy that large outsized falls in housing prices would have. It would move them further away from their full employment objective um, and it would put the economy back into reverse, which is not what they want to do. The RBA are at a position now where the economy has strengthened uh, and they want to, I guess, wind back some of those emergency uh, policy settings that have been in place. Uh, and have supported the economy throughout COVID. They don't really want to put the economy back into it, back into reverse, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I think if we were to start tracking down a scenario where those um, housing price falls were becoming, um, you know, quite quite negative, uh, we would certainly see, I guess, a, a change in trajectory with respect to interest rates and with respect with respect to monetary uh, policy in terms of um, supporting the economy to get back on track. Yeah. And I gotta say, if house prices fall 30%, Eleanor, I will be buying property. That's for sure. I will be if it wants to drop 30%, I'll be a buyer. Thanks for joining us on the program. Thank you for having me. That's Eleanor Crow, Senior Economist at the REA Group. And that's the show for this week. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget, if you want more information about investing stocks, have a look at switzerreport.com.au. And if you missed my interview with Chris Joy about whether markets will crash, houses, house prices, and stocks, have a look at my Monday show. Quite an interesting interview. It might actually um, have a big impact on the way you invest in the future. Thanks for joining us. See you on Monday night.